people of Earth, your planet has to be destroyed. Welcome to Conspiracy, the show, the world's most trusted conspiracy theory podcast, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Olivia Haidar. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conspiracy the Show. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me as special guest co-host this week, Kim Crawl is here. Hi, everybody. Hi. Kim, you've been on, well, you were on the conspiracy pod about the Paul McCartney conspiracy. Fall McCartney. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Faux McCartney. Oh, they call him Fall McCartney. Fall, like, because the F fake yeah. McCartney. You get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, that was a very fun episode. I don't remember if we put that out publicly, but you can see at least some of it on YouTube. So, Oh, you, you didn't publicly post? I think we did, though. I think we did put it out, because that's a very good episode. Thank so, you. if people haven't heard it, go listen to that. You've heard Kim on this pod before. I think you might have been on some other episodes. You've definitely... A conspiracy? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. You've been on pretty scary before and this was gonna be an episode of pretty scary but for one thing we've talked about the story that we're talking about today on pretty scary before it was just we talked about it a long time ago before these documentaries were out oh you did research on it before these documentaries well this story broke in like print media in newspapers and magazines first oh and so we did an episode based on those articles before this documentary came out i feel like even though i mean that's one of the reasons we're covering it on conspiracy now because we did talk about it on pretty scary but also i feel like there's a lot of conspiracy related stuff to this story which is the sarah lawrence college cult story my main conspiracy angle toward this story is this guy is clearly like former cia or something Oh, you think that? I mean, he that's one of the things he bragged about. And like with MK Ultra, we know that was a lot of just like mind control stuff and figuring out different techniques for interrogating people and breaking people down. And it feels like this guy was using stuff he learned in that capacity on these kids. Because how do you learn how to do that kind of thing that he did? You know what I mean? Like, it seemed very quickly that he was able to do this to these kids. So we're covering this story by way of the Hulu documentary called Stolen Youth Inside the Sarah Lawrence College Cult. It's one of two competing Sarah Lawrence College Cult documentaries that are out on the market right now, which is a really common thing these days. Really? I, when I saw that at the notes, I was like, oh, shit, did I watch the wrong one? No. I was like, wait, was I on the wrong network? The other is Peacock. They have a documentary called Sex, Lies, and the College Cult. The defining difference between the two is the Peacock documentary is a, like, 90-minute documentary. And this is three one-hour episodes. So mm-hmm. this is definitely a more involved watch. I'm normally really put off when a documentary is multiple episodes, but I feel like this one actually needed to be because there is a lot of carnage in this story and there are a lot of victims and they all, I think, deserve to have their stories told and heard. And you get a lot of that in this. Some of it is really rough to listen to. One thing I was struck by having seen both documentaries, the Peacock documentary goes into Claudia's story a little more in depth than this one part of her story, the sex trafficking part, especially the, just all of that, like all of her sex work that she did to pay this guy the money that she perceived as having owed him. Did she comment or did she did she participate she, in the Peacock? No, she didn't participate in either of the documentaries. That's another yeah. thing this one has over Peacock. More of the people who lived in the house actually are interviewed in this documentary as opposed oh, to okay. that one. I think this is the better of the two. And I think it does need to be as long as it is. Well, what was also interesting, too, like you said, like we actually got to see like the actual footage. And a lot of times with these documentaries, like you see like actors act out and it's like, 
okay, well then what really happened? And about 40 minutes into the first hour, I was like, wait, are these real? This is all real footage. And I was like trying to Google what all these people looked like. I mean, these aren't actors. This psycho was filming breaking these humans, breaking these humans. Yeah, he absolutely wrecked these kids. That's one of the reasons I'm inclined to think he's using skills he picked up somewhere. And it seems like they are skills he would have learned in like military intelligence or something along those lines. Like there there's scenes that are just torture. Like he's like, like straight up torturing these kids in some cases. But it seems like what he's really good at is figuring out not just how to break these kids down, but how to break each one down individually because like specifically to their psyche like what would effectively yeah like there's one kid who's unsure about his sexuality so larry ray becomes his sex coach and there's santos who it seems like he couldn't find an in with that kid so he just starts accusing him of breaking everything in the house and like gaslights this kid into thinking he broke everything in the house. And then, but then he's already got everybody on his side. So everyone in the house is like not being like, yeah, you broke that stuff, but no one is like defending him either. Everyone is just like, so he's, he's taught how he's talking about it. He's like, I don't remember doing it, but I need him to not be mad at me. And then I start to believe that I had done it. Yeah. Just the speed with which he breaks these kids. He's not doing normal shit. Like, he picked this all up somewhere. And I feel like my, I guess, bigger conspiracy about this, Larry Ray talks about having all these really powerful friends. Yeah. And we see evidence that he does have a lot of powerful a lot of friends. Them. Yeah, a lot of them are powerful. Yeah, it's and, not not real. And if I had to make a guess, I would bet the reason those powerful friends didn't come through for him this time is because he was caught using like military grade mind control on a bunch of fucking college kids. And if people start coming to his defense, like he's risking outing company secrets at that point. I feel like he just crossed a lot. Like he obviously crossed a line, but like you mean like in, in the eyes of like, yeah. but I think in the eyes of the people who might have protected him in a situation like this, I would suspect with them, he probably crossed a bit of a line doing this because, God, I don't care how hardened of a CIA veteran you are. Like, if you just spent your career, like, toppling governments and shit, you're going to see this and it's going to pull at your heartstrings, too. Because, like, those CIA dudes have kids and, like, I, they're going to see this and be like, you motherfucker. You ruined these people. I mean, like... The end, a lot of them are, but I mean, Isabella, she's, her life is ruined. Like that's, that's it. That's all she wrote. She's, she's all fucked up. Yeah. Like she already was fucked up going into the situation. And now she's like, her mom's like 20 years sober and is like, I would love to talk to her. And this woman just was listening to like, the mom was like, I want to come see Isabella and help her. And this woman was listening to Larry because she had all this guilt about being a bad mom and an alcoholic. And Larry was like, yeah, you'll just make things worse. Don't come here. So in like keeping her mom away, he was able to fully. That's why I think she's a victim. She was a kid, man. If Felicia, who was older, was like was now like a conspirator, I would I would get that. But the fact that she was I mean, she they. Oh, my God. She was one of the saddest ones. They're so sad. I'm. Yeah. I'm like stuttering. Sorry. <laughs> so this all starts in 2010 when okay. when a, a group of friends all are starting their sophomore year at Sarah Lawrence College in New York. Gabe, Dan, Max, Claudia, Isabella, Santos, Juliana, and Talia. They all live together in the house. And then there's another friend named Raven who is around but doesn't live in the house. And I think she brings a lot to this documentary. I don't believe that she was in the Peacock documentary, but she's interviewed a lot in this. And she brings a really interesting perspective in that she's that one friend who, when this all started, was like, it's fucked up. This seems fucked up. (laughs) I'm going to go. (laughs) Yeah. Are we sure this is what we want to do? And she's the one who leaves. And they all like tell her to fuck off over it. And she even explains it as like at first they would be like, well, no, 
Larry's helping me. And then she would bring it up again later and they'd be like, hey, fuck anyone who says Larry's hurting me. And then she'd bring it up later and they'd be like, hey, fuck you if you yeah. think Larry's hurting me. And if you do, we can just never talk again. And that's what fucking comes to pass. They just cut her off because she's not going for what Larry is selling in this house. Oh, can you imagine the guilt and relief you ha- would have as that woman? Like that you didn't try harder to help your friends, but also the relief that you had something in your brain that was like, nah, I'm going to go. You know what I mean? Like not guilt, like not that it's her fault, but like guilt is a human reaction to being survivor's guilt is real, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's one of the things that makes me skeptical of Talia's role in this, because you're right that she was. Once she had this group of people assembled, she would just constantly talk up her dad and talk about how great he was and how unjustly he was treated by the criminal justice system and how there were people out to get him. And Raven is the exception in that group where she's the one who almost immediately is like, no, this is fucked up. But I feel like I would have maybe been like, no, this is fucked up. And I feel like I know a lot of people who would have been like, I'm for sure would have been like, nope, this, I had a fucked up dad. So anytime I have like, I have like not that fucked up of a dad, but a pretty fucked up dad. And anytime I have any kind of radar of anything like that, I'm like, I'm going to leave. I'm going to dip. I already, I think that's why I have such like empathy for Talia Because I understand. But see, that's where I, like, I do, but I also question, like, what a stroke of luck for Larry Ray that all of these people who were so clearly kind of like preconditioned to fall for something like this all end up in the same house together. It's weird that he got this perfect group of people to do this on because I don't think a randomly selected group of people, I don't think this would have worked as well. Well, I don't, I'm not questioning that Talia didn't handpick these people to do this. What I'm saying is like the only example I can think of right now is a young girl gets groomed by a man. And then when she ages out, a lot of times she goes out and finds a new girl for him. That's like, that's a pretty common thing in the set, like the sex trafficking world or the abuse world. And she though now is a predator. She became a predator because she was a victim and knew nothing else. So that's what I think Talia for sure. I think that's why she was never charged, but she for sure brought all these people. That wasn't by mistake, but I think it's because this is a person who was perpetually abused and brainwashed herself and thought he was, you know, was brainwashed into he's the greatest man alive. And like, not only that, but when Talia had zero to, you know, 15, that's when your brain's even more malleable than with these 18 year olds. Yes, I think that she definitely brought all these people together on purpose, but I don't think that that makes her the predator. I think she was groomed to do that. I think she's still a victim. Yeah, that's definitely fair especially given her age. And I think that probably is why she wasn't charged. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like she was named. So she's got that stink to her name, which she probably at least deserves that. But I don't even think that I think an abused child all, you know, like she wasn't a 40 year old woman who like was out doing this and had lived in the world for a long time. She had, this was all she knew You know, I think Isabella, like the courts were even trying to be like, you're a victim. Please let us help you because you were a child when this was happening to you. You're a victim. And she's like, nah. And so they even when they were charging her, were calling her a victim in the in the court documents. She was still victim number one, even though now she's part she's getting charged with certain things. So I I don't know. I I I probably won't budge on that. Sorry. (laughs) But I think she's a victim. I just think. We are not leaving until I change your mind. I'm sorry. So <laughs> We're going to be here till... Uh, 10 years, just like the cult. It's going to take yeah, forever. What if this is our cult now? So one day <laughs> Talia just up and tells everyone that her dad's moving in. And that's all. You ever been in that situation? No. You're living with someone and they're just like, hey, someone else is moving in. And you're like, oh, fuck. Certainly not their parent. Like, yeah. Maybe like my buddy needs to sleep on our couch for a little bit. And it, yeah, that is like an old fuck. And by that point, everyone was so conditioned to hearing tales of how great Larry Ray was on account of Talia. They didn't think much of it. 
when he moved in at first because she said it was just going to be for a few days. He was going to sleep on the couch and he moves in. He starts telling them about his time in the CIA and how he worked with NATO to help resolve the Kosovo crisis and how he met Mikhail Gorbachev and consulted him. And they talk about how it sounded pretty crazy, but then he would like whip out evidence and like show them letters of commendation, pictures of him with Mikhail Gorbachev. So that's the part that I like, I could see at least some of those kids in Santos, at least just straight up says like, I was hooked. Like I like, I also like these kids also like, again, by design, they were chosen. Like, Dan is a kid, I don't know his upbringing, but he's a kid who's unsure of his sexuality in a time that it's, you know, it's not as, I mean, it was New York, but it still wasn't, you know, 10 years ago was much different than it is now. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. And then those three kids are, well, uh, Felicia hadn't moved in yet, but the, you know, Santos, they, they grew up very poor in a one bedroom room. So just someone as worldly as Larry, like seeing you. And being seen by someone like that for the first time, of course he's hooked, right? Yeah. So then he just kind of moves in without anyone ever announcing that he's officially moving in. He just like... Is that when Raven was like, yeah, I'm going to dip out? I think it was pretty soon after that. She was the one who was dating Dan, right? And... Yes. Who was Max and then the other guy? I think they're both people who moved out pretty quick also. Because there are some kids who were in the house who bail on this pretty fast. And even some of them who at first were starting to get into it eventually are like, uh. and odd. Yeah. Remember there's that scene where Dan basically breaks up with Raven because Larry tells him to, and Larry like has him get on the phone right then and there and break up with her. And I think that's the point where she finally like leaves for good, but she had pretty much been out before that. And with the kids that he does manage to keep around, it ends up being around five of them at first. Dan, Santos, Claudia, Isabella. And Talia. And Talia. So Larry Ray starts telling these kids about his philosophy, which is called Quest for Potential. It is the system he touts as being the cure to all of their ills. Like, he convinces these kids they have anything from depression to schizophrenia. Like, whatever he can convince them is wrong, it seems like that's what he goes for. And then just once they believe something, he exploits that. Claudia went to, I believe, Raven and was like, I'm schizophrenic. I think it was Raven. And Raven Raven was like, what? No, you're not. Like, you're, when did this begin? Who diagnosed you? Like, very confused. And she was just like, I've been schizophrenic this whole time. And yeah, and then schizophrenic, you know, they're schizophrenic, especially if they're not. And when Raven tells her she's not, Claudia is like, Well, you telling me I'm not schizophrenic just makes my schizophrenia worse. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it's I just know. so fucking crazy. It's so, and again, like, when you watch this, you have to take into account you're seeing clips. And these kids lived in this situation day in and day out for, in some cases, a decade. Like, that Santos kid, he's going to be wrecked forever. Oh, you can see it in his eyes. Yeah. In his interview now where he's just, he looks like a child. Like, he's a grown man, but he his, he looks like a child. Like, yeah. it's like... I hope he gets a job. I hope he gets to, you know, like, I hope he gets to live some kind of semblance of a life because he, and they also, he, they said that they never, they only ate when Larry ate and Larry was on so much Adderall that Larry barely ate. One thing they don't talk about that much in this version of the documentary is the money this guy had. If you look into some of the other sources, like the Peacock documentary, the articles, They talk about how Larry not only would like cook for these kids, which they do bring that up in this, but he would walk around with a backpack that just was full of cash and would just carry huge stacks of cash with him at all times. And anything these kids wanted, he would just like do it at first. Like, oh, that's how you get them too. Yeah, he was he was coming at them from pretty much every angle because there's I don't remember the guy with the glasses. I don't remember his name. But Max. he's, was that Max? 
Yeah. I yeah. found him attractive, sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is he married? Where's he at? Well, he's also one of the ones who fled pretty out. early. And the only thing that got him that Larry was doing was the cooking. He was like, I was broke and I would come home and there would be steak on the table. That's pretty nice. But then once all the other stuff started, he was like, oh, okay, I can get steak anywhere. This is I'll a just bit be broke much. for a while. Yeah. The first person to really go for his shit is Isabella. So much so that they start sleeping in the same room. And uh, they and he's like, I'm working on her issues. That's why we're in here alone all night. And it's just, oh, and that's her his daughter's age. It's just it's not just that she's his daughter's age. She kind of looks like his daughter. Oh, yeah. And that's why I that's why I, I die on Natalia Hill. Who the fuck knows what happened to that little girl before he went to prison? You know what I mean? The fact that he was just able to just do that with. Yeah, it just it it's icky. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah. One aspect of Larry Ray's personality that is especially baffling to me is he recorded everything like I get. The part where he would record these kids confessing to shit so he could get, like, blackmail material. Like, I understand why you do that if you're trying to build up a cult. Yeah. But, like, why record, for example, the phone call with Isabella's mom? Mm -hmm. Like, it's, for one thing, it's a heartbreaking phone call. He knows, like, he's already heard everything Isabella's mom did when Isabella was a kid. Like, Isabella's mom was a drug addict and an alcoholic. And Isabella had a rough upbringing. And Larry Ray gets all this information and calls Isabella's mom with Isabella in the room and is like, you were a bad mom and your daughter is going to commit suicide over it if she comes home and ever sees you again. So this mom is just like, okay, like, I guess I don't want my kid to kill herself. So I guess don't come home. Was she sober at this point? She hadn't been. I think she's 20 she, years at sober at the dock at the time of the dock. So I think she was in terms sober of at this point. Alcohol. I don't know in terms of drugs, but either way, like she, for one thing, she was like, I didn't have the money to go there. Like I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't go rescue her. And that's the other thing. He, he didn't just get kids who were personally susceptible to his kind of shenanigans. He got kids whose families were susceptible to it. Like Santos and Yelitsa and Felicia's family, like their parents don't even really speak English. Like I yeah. don't believe they spoke English during any of the interviews. Like you no. can tell they don't have a lot of money. And like I grew up super poor and I can imagine like someone with that much money coming into your life and not only offering to fix all your problems, but also now you're eating good and you have nice clothes. Like that's going to go a long fucking way. Like when you grow up poor, you really want nothing else in life except to not be poor anymore because being poor fucking sucks. And I'm not saying that in like some kind of jokey mocking way. Like if no. you're poor, you fucking know it sucks. And yeah, he like he prayed on that too. And that's one of the reasons I, I like that this documentary exists because people need to know to watch for shit like this. Yeah. Because this all happens like it happens over the course of 10 years, but he gets his hooks in them fast. Like that mm -hmm. part doesn't take 10 years. It takes like 10 weeks at best. And this wasn't in the 70s. You know what I mean? Like the internet existed. Like this is like modern time. Like a lot of these brainwashing documentaries you see are like, oh, he was like the, the, the you know, charismatic neighbor. And he basically took over our family. But it was like 1970 in Utah. This right. is New York in 2010. Like that's how still it can happen, you know? Yeah. And one of the first things he starts doing is separating these kids from their support systems. Like that's clearly what he's doing with be it the phone calls to Isabella's mom or even the thing where he gets between Dan and Raven. Yeah. Because at that point, Dan, I think even said he wasn't super close with his family. Like it was kind of just Raven that was, you know, his confidant in life. And so Larry gets in between them and gets her out of his life. And he just kind of systematically breaks 
these kids away from their support system so he can become their main support system. And he does it so fast. It's and what's also crazy is he does it to all of them. Like, it's always like when you don't have any siblings and fucked up shit happens, you can't look at your sibling. You have nobody to look at and be like, this fucked up, right? Yeah. But it's always like if you have siblings, you can at least have that support system that you're in this. But he somehow got these kids to also not talk to each other about this stuff. Like fear, like if you do this, this is going to happen. to You know what? Like he somehow also got these kids not to confide in each other about how fucked up it all was. Cause two of them, when they reunited, they were like, it felt so good to know that you saw what I saw. Like right. they didn't talk. Like I don't even begin to know how you would do that. Yeah. And so the, the first episode kind of goes through each kid's story, not every single one, but that first initial batch of kids and the stuff about the playlist he would make them listen to was weird. But remind me of that. I don't remember that. Well, I remember reading that he would wake the house up by oh yeah, making them listen to Baba O'Reilly by The Who, which is the Teenage Wasteland song. It's yes, just I okay, I remember called this. Baba O'Reilly. But it was actually a whole playlist and but it was all like really dark like 60s psychedelic type stuff or stuff along the lines of Baba O'Reilly. And I found that interesting because there's a really compelling conspiracy theory out there about that 60s Laurel Canyon scene, like the Doors, Frank Zappa, the Birds, like all those 60s musicians who end up all congregating in Laurel Canyon and sort of starting the counterculture movement. Oh, I don't know about that. Almost all of those people are the children of military intelligence people. Like, Oh, wow. We did an episode about it. It's a book now, but there at one point, and it still exists on the internet. I'll try and find it and put it in the show notes. But there is an 18-part magazine article about all the Laurel Canyon stuff and how so many of those people just weirdly have ties to military intelligence. And we know from what files about MKUltra were able to be recovered that the CIA was pretty heavily involved in the counterculture movement and the proliferation of acid. And like the CIA ran a brothel in San Francisco in the 1960s, which is one of those things that people bring up as like, oh, can you believe that? Every time I think about that, my first thought is where'd the women come from? Like, and where did the women go like, afterwards? Speaking of sex trafficking, like, yeah, I, I guarantee that... they didn't staff that with like CIA workers. Like, yeah, when you said that, I wasn't like, oh, interesting. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the fact that he's like this playlist is mostly music from that era. Like, again, I'm like, ah, feels like some CIA shit. I don't know. I mean. It would make sense. I mean, a lot of I mean, a lot of these guys who are sociopaths, like he's an obvious, you know, psychopath, like from not not from us being like he's a psychopath, but like from the psychology, actual definition of someone who's a sociopath, psychopath. They are good liars and are able to do, you know, manipulate with lies. But a lot of this is like, why would he have? Here's a picture of me and this guy. Here's here's real palpable proof, you know, palpable. Yeah, that's a word. Nah, uh, proof. It. Yeah. And we've mentioned Santos and Yelitsa and Felicia a little bit so far. And I think, again, it's not a competition, but I do think they are the saddest story here because it's, for one thing, three siblings. At one yeah. point, Santos calls Yelitsa, who, by her own admission, was living a very lonely existence at the time. She was very unhappy. And he was like, listen. This fucking dad that moved in to my college home <laughs> has turned my whole life around. And I think if you were to move in with us, he could turn your life around too. And so she does. And now they're all living in a one-bedroom apartment in Manhattan. Eventually they leave the Sarah Lawrence College residence. This is another detail that the Peacock documentary gets into in a little more detail, which is that apartment. They do finally in episode two interview the guy who owned the apartment. It was a guy named Lee Chen. Yeah, yeah. And he 
in some way or another had come under the spell of Larry at a previous point in life. And when Larry gets released from prison, he offers to let Larry crash on his couch. This guy's got a one bedroom apartment in Manhattan. And he's like, you can sleep on my couch. And Larry's like, thanks. And immediately moves in this gaggle of college kids that he is turning into a cult. And they all move into this one bedroom apartment. And it doesn't come up in this documentary, but Lee Chen, I believe he said it took four years to finally get an actual eviction order against Larry Ray. Oh my God. And then another two years before the police would come out and actually enforce that eviction order. So I know it would be tempting to watch this documentary and hear Lee Chen, his story in this documentary just kind of ends with him being like, so I just stayed away from the apartment mostly. Yeah, I thought that was that was a big gap of something that happened, but so much was else was going on that I quickly forgot about it. Yeah, yeah, they don't mention it at all, but he didn't just like let this happen. He tried very, very hard to get Larry Ray evicted from that apartment, but once you let someone move in, it's really hard to yeah. evict them. So I know people might watch this and be like, why didn't you just kick him out? He tried. He just did it by the letter of the law. So it took six years. And to that's get him the thing. Like there. if he would have just like thrown that guy out with all of their stuff and changed the locks that also, I think Larry legally would have had some grounds of something. Cause like it's very, once you oh, move yeah. someone in, it's extreme. I mean, it's extremely hard now for me as like a tenant to be evicted. Like it's yes. really like, I just don't have to pay my rent. And it takes a while for them to, the laws are insane with that. Yeah. They touch on the property damage stuff a little bit in the first episode. One of the things he would do is convince these kids that they were damaging stuff in the apartment and that they were subconsciously doing it on purpose to hurt him. And Santos gets that the worst. Yeah. Like he, and again, he records all of this. So there's all these recordings of him just berating Santos about breaking stuff in the house. And Santos is like, will you just like give me a clue as to what it was? And that sounds weird, but one of the things he was convincing these kids he was doing was uncovering repressed memories. And he had them convinced that even like, oh, well, you broke a plate two days ago and you've since you did it to hurt me, but now you've repressed that memory and you don't remember. So now you need to just admit it. And he would just fucking browbeat this kid until this kid would finally be like, all right, yeah, man, I broke like everything in the house. And he does eventually come up with a list of like everything he could have possibly come into contact with. That's what he broke. And it's like $47,000 worth of shit. It is heartbreaking. And then also in the video that he's coming up with it, other people are sitting next to him. And that's like the wild thing that like no one was like, I don't think you did that because I also, you know, like these kids were so Larry that they just watched it happen to each other. That's the thing about Isabella, though, is where the other kids would just like watch and not say anything, like especially in this moment. Isabella's the one who's like, it's black and white. You're lying. And Isabella every- also was probably sleeping with Larry and oh, also wasn't. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And not getting any of this treatment because of it. So there also is the survivor's mind, too, of just like, I don't think it's even something conscious. I, don't, I just, I don't know. I know I'm really heavy hitting uh, standing up for these girls, but. Well, no, I don't think that's that's the wrong path to take either. Like, I mean, there's there's multiple ways to look at it. And obviously everyone here is a victim to some extent. Yeah. Like there's that guy. There's yeah. Well, yeah, obviously everyone is a victim of him. Yeah. And yeah, things get so bad with Santos. He first asks his parents for money and they're so broke. They end up pawning some jewelry oh, for like $700. Yeah. And give him $750 and, and all they have. That's he, He takes that to Larry and Larry's like, well, if you really wanted to help, you would get more money than that. Like you're not even trying. So then Santos like starts calling all of his friends, all of his family, all of his associates asking for money. And one guy who was a friend who lived in the house initially was like, he called and asked me for like $25,000. I was working as like a barista at the time. 
I didn't have it. And it's the last time I ever heard from him. Highly sad. Very sad. So shit. sad. By the way, that guy was a shade too giggly throughout the whole time he was being interviewed. A little bit, yeah. He was a little too like, this is wild, dude. Like, it was just like, okay, you're the only one that doesn't seem like you care as much as the other. Like, Max and Raven were like, this is heartbreaking. We should have done more. And this guy's like, live it up. I don't know. Every time he was on the screen, (laughs) I was like, fucking hate that guy. At the beginning of episode two, they bring up Bernard Carrick, who is an interesting figure in this story. Okay. I was so confused by that. Like, I was like, was I supposed to, is that somebody I'm supposed to know? Or is it Oh, he used to be the uh, chief of the NYPD. Okay. And he's like a big political figure in New York, but he also, I think, went to prison for a little bit. Like, he's... Yeah, he's well known. He's like a less okay. uh, a less cartoonish Rudy Giuliani sort of. <laughs> like he's one of those like New York figures. He and Larry Ray used to be friends. Larry was the best man at Bernie Carrick's wedding. Eventually those two have a falling out and Bernie Carrick becomes a central figure in this household in that Larry starts on top of convincing these kids that they're like breaking stuff and doing things to hurt him, he also convinces them that either they or in some cases their parents are working in conspiracy with Bernie Carrick to hurt him. And it gets to the point where these kids start admitting to it. They're like, yep, I met with Bernie Carrick when I was a kid and my family has been working against you ever since and just like making shit up did they ever get a comment from bernie carrick Carrick? Carrick? yeah they interview him in this okay how did i miss that whole thing okay well he looks radically different in his like he looks way different now than he did in the footage you see so when they're interviewing him it looks like a different person he's like an old white guy that's like oh yeah he was bald now yeah bald yeah okay okay and he was like, yeah, we were friends. And he was he seemed like a powerful guy. He had a lot of money. Yeah. But they move away from that pretty quick, which I found a little disappointing. I wanted to know more about his connections in that way. Which also holds up with your whole conspiracy theory, by the way. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And this is also where they talk to Lee Chen. Lee Chen has a really interesting quote where early on when Larry moved all these kids into the apartment, Lee Chen was like, why are you so interested in this group of college kids? And Larry Ray's quote was, you and I can only do so much, but I'm building an army. Oh, yeah. And that feels like more CIA shit. And building an army for what? Like, why wasn't that guy like, get out of my house? I, I mean, know. I'm sure he a billion times said that. And there's, yeah. But yeah, that that made me, that was one of the times that I went, why am I watching this? Yeah, it it's weird. And it's all related because at one point he starts tying Santos to tr- destroying his stuff to Bernie Carrick. And he starts implying that they were conspiring together to ruin Larry's life. And Santos is the first one who starts making up stories about him meeting with Bernie Carrick when he clearly did not. And he said it was just so Larry would stop interrogating him. And uh, hey, that's how torture works. Yeah. We found that out during the war on terror. There were several high profile instances where we tortured people and got information and then found out, oh, they just told us that so we would stop torturing them. So we'd stop waterboarding them or yeah. like what? Yeah. And, it's and like, that, he was writing out confessions too. Like, not Larry didn't just have videos, he had confession, like handwritten confessions from these kids. Yeah. He gets handwritten confessions, he gets video confessions. And that absolutely is some cult shit. Like, that's Jonestown did that. Scientology does that. Like, every cult you can name, one of the first things they're going to do is be like, hey, you know, just in the name of, like, clearing your conscience and clearing your soul, how about you write down every bad thing you've ever done in life? And then uh, just... Scientology totally does that. Yeah. And they do it because if you ever act up, they have all of the dirt they need on you to ruin your life. But when you're in those early stages where it seems like they're helping, I can see how slipping in, oh, here's another exercise. Just write down all the bad shit you've ever done. You know, it just like, it expunges it from your soul. It's fine. And it's like. You're trusting and you're like, this place is helping me and I love it. So that's a good, yeah. Oh, 
God. And so Isabella versus Felicia. That's an interesting story. Isabella had kind of positioned herself as Larry Ray's girlfriend. Yeah. But then at one point, Larry gets his hooks into Felicia, who is the older sister of Yelitsa and Santos. And they first meet because she just flies out to visit. She's living in L.A. at the time. She, the way she described it was approximately two weeks away from becoming a doctor. Like she's she, doing a she residency. Columbia and Harvard, right? Columbia and Harvard and was doing a residency at USC. Like she grew up dirt poor and then came up from nothing. I mean, I think she's one of the most heartbreaking stories. I, I think so too, because she's like right on the cusp of achieving all of her dreams. And then she meets Larry Ray and they strike up a long distance relationship. And she essentially becomes his girlfriend. And with about two weeks to go in her residency, so two weeks before she becomes an actual medical doctor, achieves all of her dreams in life, she leaves the residency and moves into this one bedroom apartment in Manhattan to become Larry Ray's girlfriend, gets there and is immediately sharing a bed with Larry and Isabella. But how he got her there, he convinces her that she's being followed and they're going to murder her. And that like he convinces her she's not safe in California without him. So that's why she and so now she's like on her breaks with you know doing residency. She's coming out and she's talking to Larry. She's crying. She's like, I think people are following me, all this stuff. And then she's like, they're paging me. I have to go back into the, the hospital. And so then she eventually I think she eventually gets let go because she's like or she leaves. She either leaves, but then she tries to come back and they're like, no, you can't. Yeah. And but that's how he gets her away is he gets her so paranoid that people are after her because of him and that she's so unsafe. And she's like, I'm starting to believe they're following me. Yeah. And the footage of her when she finally arrives at the apartment is horrifying. Like a different human because she's just pictures crying uncontrollably and talking like you can tell it's fucking gibberish about people who are plotting to kill her. And you can tell from how hysterical she is that there aren't people plotting to kill her. Like and it. One of the things I found really interesting that I also think speaks to Larry Ray being on some CIA shit. Felicia wasn't just doing a medical residency she was doing a psychology residency so if anyone should have been able to see through his shit and put a stop to it it should have been her this brilliant woman already and then also add the education one of the reasons felicia and larry ray bonded she was a psychologist essentially or on the verge of being a for real psychologist and she said she would talk to larry about psychology and he could just like keep up with her beat for beat oh yeah and i feel like that also speaks to this being some cia type shit like what about though they said that they looked up his met his old records and i'm i'm not remembering like fully, but where they had interviewed him, where it was like they looked into him and a lot of it was like, we can't even explain this person's psyche, like doctor yeah. records from like, we can't even explain this person. Well, there was. Yeah, there's something in one of his medical records where a psychologist or a psychiatrist essentially said there's not really any point in trying to like evaluate him because he's able to manipulate any situation you get him in. That adds to your whole theory. Yeah. Speaking of horrifying, one of the videos we see in this is a video of him abusing Dan with a pair of pliers. And as horrible as the part where he clamps the pliers onto Dan's tongue is, the part that was even worse to me was after he unhooked it, he kept like just sort of hitting Dan in the stomach with the pliers. Mm -hmm. And like eventually Dan starts like flinching in this way that like people never should. Like you should never be that scared of a person who's like, especially not a person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it reminded me of 
at one point a few years ago, there were all these viral videos of dogs in China that would like walk on their hind legs, like only they would only walk on their hind legs. And people were like, oh, my God, so cute. And then someone posted a video of how they train dogs to do that. And what they do is stand them up in a corner on their hind legs. And whenever they try to get down, they hit them in the stomach with a shoe. Oh, God, I can't hear that. I'm sorry. Oh, I can't. I just want to go hug my cat. And it, like, seeing Dan in that situation reminded me of those videos. Like, Yeah, abused. He broke that guy down to the point of a fucking two-legged poodle. But Dan is one of the people also who, among that core group, he's one of the first also to get the fuck out of there. He just like wandered up on the roof one night and was like, I either can jump or I can just walk out with all, all, all that I have on my back. And that's it, right? Yeah, he said for some reason he was home alone one night, which like almost never happened. And yeah, he went up to the roof and was like, I could I could get out of this by just killing myself. And then he's like, or I could just leave. And he said that he hadn't been able to have those thoughts because he was never alone. So there was never a moment where his brain could go, hey, you, I'm in here still. Uh, Can let's get the fuck out of here. What do you do? Like he was just constant noise and no, like sleeping odd hours and eating weird, like odd times. And like, yeah. And that's one of the things that's so frightening about this to me, because I keep saying it, but we're seeing three hours of footage of this. And like, think about what you just said. Like that was the first moment Dan was even alone enough to think, okay, I have options for leaving. And I know people, there are people that will watch this and be like, why didn't you just walk out the fucking door? And like when you're living in that situation all the time, that's not even, it's not even going to be an option. Like, no, you don't even, you you don't even have, uh, you don't even have the quietness in your brain. Like there's so many things happening in your brain that are like, at one point Felicia was talking about memories and she was like, I got to stop myself. I'm sorry. That was Larry brain. Let me yeah. rephrase. Like, so it's like these kids had the brain is so malleable and it's so fragile and it's so, you know, and, oh, he just walked out. He just walked out. And I don't know what happened to him right after that, but I know what happened to him later. But yeah. Oh, it's so fucking heartbreaking. So the the next thing that happens, at least in the documentary timeline, is Claudia's video confession about. Oh, God poisoning everyone in the house the people in the house like they hear this and some of them especially like isabella and felicia are like for a long time are like yeah man claudia was poisoning us and And that's why i'm like this like right and as a means of making amends for poisoning everyone claudia becomes a sex worker and over the course of several years ends up giving Larry Ray more than a million dollars. I think more than I think over like one year was like 700,000. Yeah. Another year. Yeah. It was like, and like each year it was like a crazy amount of money. And she's just like, this is a thing the Peacock documentary gives a little more detail on. Like, it's not just that she was doing sex work for him. She was doing it like 14 hours a day, every day for years and years and years years and that thing where is they briefly touch on this incident where i think she was trying to leave because what doesn't come up in this documentary she had a client who i think was also like a journalist or something like that and they like formed this bond and he eventually is like i can fucking help you escape if you need to and they <laughs> how long was he paying for sex with her before he was like most probably your moral i could help you yeah sorry exactly, that's like but, a that's a sidebar but jesus but that incident that they briefly touch on here where isabella and larry show up at her hotel room and like tie her to a chair they have video of that in the peacock documentary and, and show the video well they only show Isabella and Larry leaving the room and the camera is like on Claudia's face, but you see some of it. I don't know why they don't go into more detail about that incident here, but it's pretty fucking harrowing. Like she was tortured by at least by Larry, but Isabella was in the room and it seems like she maybe participated 
in it also. That, I think, is the most worthwhile thing about watching both documentaries is to hear more about Claudia's story because they, I feel like they really do sort of gloss over it in yeah, this Yeah, Claudia was like one of the main, the only, the sex trafficking charge, like the big charge that yeah, it was all made Claudia. him go to prison for the rest of his life. Like sex, tra- sex trafficking is like the highest one. Right. I'm wondering if the reason why they didn't touch too much on her on this, this Hulu is because because it's the main reason he went to prison for he's going to prison for as long as he is sex trafficking is the highest charge right right and i'm wondering if claudia didn't want to be a part of this documentary and maybe these documentaries i don't know these filmmakers i don't know wanted yeah yeah wanted to uh i don't know why i tried to make up a word um (laughs) wanted to respect her privacy by just glossing over this like being like we don't need to this woman doesn't want to be a part of this. So maybe we just tell as much as we need to tell out of yeah. respect for this victim. Yeah, that could very well be. And if so, I respect that choice. Yeah, same. And so that actually ends up kind of being Larry's undoing because Raven sees this video and is like, mm, I don't remember being poisoned. That sounds weird what's going on in claudia's life and she starts doing some internet sleuthing and finds a phone number on one of claudia's videos oh yeah and googles that phone number and finds that it is tied to an escort profile and that escort profile belongs to claudia Mm -hmm. and that's how they find out that she is being sex trafficked Raven tries to call the police. Yeah, they don't. And the police, she says her own words are the police laughed it off. So then. <sighs> Tell us again why we don't like police. Yeah, My God. Exactly. So then she calls a reporter friend who also graduated from Sarah Lawrence College. And that is the point where everything falls apart for Larry Ray. Because what eventually is. Larry Ray's undoing is the articles that came out about this in, I want to say it was New York Magazine was the first article. Mm-hmm. And that's when this, that's when well, things he, fell apart for Larry well, Ray. Well, he was able to be like, yeah, I'll interview with you. But look, I have all of these handwritten confessions, so I'm clearly fine. These kids are the ones that are like, that's yeah. when that stuff came in. And then they also moved to that house in New Jersey at some point. Yeah, I forgot about that. At one point they do. That's Dan's gone. Now it's just Felicia, uh, Yelitsa and and Santos and Isabella. Right. And so this article comes out and I think that's where they arrest Larry Ray is at the house in New Jersey that. Yeah. Not only did they all move. Not only did they all move to this house, but he also makes the kids like renovate it and like hardcore renovate it, like landscaping the whole thing. And that's when I think Santos up and left and Yulitsa up and left soon after. I don't remember who left first, but I think Yulitsa one night just walked out and yeah. then kept walking and then started hiding from what she assumed they were going to call the police. Yeah. And I think when that happened, Santos was like, you're going to, you're going to be in trouble. And she was like, no, I'm not. You can leave too. And, yeah, and then he eventually he walked he out. He's like, I walked out with just the clothes on my back. And at the point where Larry gets arrested, it's kind of just Felicia and Isabella left. They're both in the house. And they're like sister wives at this point. Like they're like they share Larry because they're like, we should get a dog. And like- that is the big selling point of this version of the Sarah Lawrence college cult documentaries. Whereas the Peacock one delves into Claudia's stuff a little more heavily. None of this stuff with Felicia and Isabella, like the interviews, they're not interviewed in it. Like Felicia and Isabella just get kind of a blurb at the end. Whereas in this, like they're actually interviewed in it. And when they're first interviewed, they're both still deep into it like they're both still they're gonna find justice for larry yeah it's gonna yeah they are devoted followers of larry ray and 
they interview them at the beginning of episode three. And not long after that interview is when Felicia starts changing her tune because she's still very smart. Like she fell into a very bad situation, but she's also smart enough to know that when her lawyers come to her and go, hey, don't say another fucking word like what you just said on this documentary. I feel like that flipped a switch in her head where she was like, don't see Isabella again. Like she moved out and Isabella was like, do you want to? And she was like, I just need to not be. Like, again, I think the same thing with Dan, like the brain finally was quiet and was able to be like, yo. um." Yeah. And episode three, it deals mostly with the aftermath for Isabella and Felicia. She was in a cult and it takes a long time to extract someone from that situation. When they first interview her, she's still calling Larry Ray her husband. And yeah. like, they weren't even married. And she's and like, like I said, like when she like was t- later when she was better, not better, but she would start to tell a story and be like, wait a minute, I'm sorry. I have to rephrase. That's Larry brain. I, yeah, I have two voices in my head and one is still like, you're in a fucking cult. You were brainwashed. It's going to take. Yeah. And at this point, Isabella and Felicia are living together and they're both still completely devoted to Larry. But then that interview happens and that's when Felicia's lawyers get involved and are like, nah, you need to separate yourself from this. And it gets like the deeper they get into Felicia's story, the documentary gets almost kind of heartwarming. There are some very sweet moments where this family like finally sort of reconcile because it's not just that Larry Ray fucked their lives up. It fucked this whole family up. This whole, that Those parents lost their kids for a decade. Yeah. Like, like I think Felicia, all of their kids. Felicia, I think at this point in history, I think said had not seen Santos for like six years. And hadn't seen her parents for even longer. And there's a scene where, like, she drives to her parents' house and sees them go in. And you're like, oh, just go in. Just just go in. And she doesn't. She and it's can't. Like, oh, so sad. But eventually she does. She calls her mom. They reconcile. And eventually that whole family unit kind of comes back Well, when together. the mom and Felicia go visit Yulitsa... Yulitsa won't come to the door and it's not because she doesn't she's just like I don't know if she's still under Larry's spell yeah I don't know if my parents are actually the horrible people that Larry convinced me like she's like I just don't know and the only thing I can do is just talk to my lawyer and be like get away from me yeah it's yeah but they do there there's a nice picnic scene at the end where they're all yeah the last episode is a lot of that The last episode is just the aftermath for Felicia and Isabella. And I don't know where Isabella, I mean, Isabella, she's not in prison, but. She's in a bad way, but they do eventually say at the end, she did eventually testify against Larry and admit that what she did was a problem. And I think she apologized, which. (sighs) Yeah. And I feel for her, though, too, because she's also like. Yeah, and not just that. I think she had the roughest upbringing, it seems like, too. Like, she was especially, all of these kids were just so susceptible, like, just naturally susceptible to what this guy was peddling. And it's so sad that it worked for as long as it did. And also, Sarah Lawrence College came out and was like, we heard about this, but we did a little bit of investigating and nothing we- seemed weird to us. But now we regret not doing like it was like this weird, bl- like, like PR quote at the end that like we we just didn't know. But it's like a full blown adult was living on campus. Like, yeah, I do. I kind of understand. Like, what else are they going to do? Like, I mean, yeah, I get it. It's just like. Fuck. Yeah. Like if one person would have just said something. Something, yeah. right? Then maybe the I mean, Santos looks legit haunted. Like you see him as an adult now, and all of them like Dan wrote a book about he wrote a memoir about this. And he he said that it was so nice to talk to Santos and be like, Oh, I wasn't a like it was nice to see him and reconnect and be like, Oh fuck, we both agree how fucked up it was but dan seems to have like kind of made his way right and the yeah. other three like uh Ulitia is going to columbia i think and she's made yeah. she wants to be an artist 
and Santos is the only one that just just seems. Yeah, he's got a job. He's living with his parents. Uh, haunted. Yeah, yeah, but it's just like. So just like I get Sarah Lawrence's side, but like I'm like if just one person would have given a little bit more of a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a heavy documentary. But Whew. I think it's worth watching. It's I do too. Like if nothing else to to build up your empathy for people in situations like this cuz it's never as simple as well why didn't you just leave? Like it's never that simple. Not everyone's built like me and Kim. Like we would have obviously just left. We're geniuses. Yeah, we we are so <laughs> fucking together mentally. Like we we got it fucking going on upstairs. Yes, but not everyone totally does. together. Yeah, not, yeah, <laughs> flawless lives. <laughs> yes, awesome. But also, you know what? I feel like everybody has a, a a thing that their brain could be. You know what I mean? Like everybody has a breaking point, or everybody has. Oh yeah, yeah. Even geniuses like us. Even geniuses like us. I don't know if that makes you a genius, but you know what I mean. It's the scariest part is that even me and Kim could fall for something like this. Not specifically this. I would have told Larry Ray to fuck off. Also, Larry Ray was super creepy. Yeah, he was. He wasn't like, I expected him to be like a charismatic, good looking guy. He was like kind of a creepy, mean guy. Yeah, he was like, oh, I knew this guy. Like, it was just like, what? Yeah, and he had like a cab driver's voice. Yeah. He looked like a Midwestern dad. Like he just looked like a dad, like in the eighties, yeah. you know, like he, it was. Oh boy. Yeah. I, I probably will watch the Peacock just cause I, uh, Claudia is, I Googled her a little bit and it was just like, she lives a quiet life. She does not want to be associated with this. She wants to be. Yeah. And who can blame her? Like, I hope, you know, I hope she's getting the help she needs. I hope she's gotten the help she needs, but. Yeah, no oh, one. Oh man, I almost teared up. Yeah, me like, too. Like as port as important as it is for people in situations like this to be able to tell their story, it's also fine if Claudia doesn't want to tell hers right yeah. now, or if anyone doesn't want to. Like that's fine too. Like we're not entitled to know Claudia's feelings on this. Yeah. Both and, can exist, right? Like yeah. someone can want to share, and someone doesn't have. Like it's none of our. So. Yeah, I think, I guess the moral of this is just be on your toes when there's former CIA in your midst. You never know what those motherfuckers are up to. Or if you see something, say something, you know? I mean, like those two, like Raven and Max were both like, we just got out of there. But now we look back and we're like, I should have maybe... And that, not that I'm not like blaming them by any stretch of the mind. There is exactly one person to be blamed in this entire scenario. But... But just like there's so many times that we'll see friends that are in like questionable situations and it's like, oh, well, it's not my lane or it's none of my business. And sometimes yeah. it doesn't matter if it's not your business. You yeah. Be, it's a fine line, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But I th- I think that's our episode, right? Yeah. We, <laughs> Were you trying to look for like a nice bow? I think this there's yeah, no there's, bow for there's this. There's no bow. I mean, there are like... You could argue that Felicia and Santos and Yalitza constitute kind of a happy ending, but... And Dan, yeah. Yeah, but there's not really... Like, the happy ending to this would be if, like, none of it happened. Like, happy is a weird way to put it, but at least most of the involved parties have extricated themselves from the situation and are rebuilding their lives, and Larry Ray will be in prison forever. Forever. And I hope not a cushy p- prison. I hope like a bad prison. Oh, he's in New York. He's probably in Rikers Island, right? Nice. Okay. Yeah, that would be ideal. Yeah. But- and they don't, it, criminals don't do so well with sex traffickers and pedophiles and rapists. Like criminals have a code. Yeah. They, they don't, they don't, those guys don't do well in prison. Yeah. Just ask Jeffrey Epstein, who definitely was murdered in prison. Yeah. yeah. Definitely was murdered in prison. <laughs> I thought you were going to be sarcastic and say definitely killed himself. In pre- like, I thought you were going to be sarcastic. And then. Oh, yeah. No, no he fucking no. was murdered. Of There's course. no way that guy wasn't murdered. Yeah. yeah anyone no. who doesn't buy that is the dumbest person I've ever met. That's the period. absolute dumbest. My yeah. God. How fucking hard do you trust the government that you think Jeffrey Epstein killed himself? Shut up. That, though, by the way, makes me kind of de- debunk your your c- conspiracy theory. If he really is former intelligence, Larry, not Epstein, 
Maybe. Will they kill him too? No, I don't think so. Larry Ray and Jeffrey Epstein are two very different animals. Oh, very, very different animals. I'm just saying Larry probably knows some things that oh, some yeah. people may not want him to know. But Epstein had friends in higher places than you and I can even imagine. You know? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well. All right. Well, <laughs> hey, Kim, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Hey, Adam, thanks for having me. I always love being here. Do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? It feels weird to plug something after, like, well, I have a comedy show tomorrow night. But um, yeah, just follow me on all the socials, K-Y-M-K-R-A-L. Yeah, well, I do have a comedy show the day this airs on the 8th, um, but I'm unclear where it is because I haven't looked yet. (laughs) Um, I've been tagged in a bunch of posts and I'm like, oh, right, that's tomorrow. Uh, But I'll have it up on all my socials and go to, you know, K-Y-M-K-R-A-L. I am uh, doing Jeff's Mint on Cards show March 10th, this Friday. Oh, you'll be there. In Burbank. So I might try and, if I'm not, if I'm not working, I was going to try and pop in. Come pop in, yeah. Don't tell Jeff I was going to surprise him. It'll be my second time doing comedy since COVID. First time since having surgery on my face. So uh, guess what my jokes are mostly going to be about. And uh, yeah, come out and see that. And uh Olivia will be back. We, me and Olivia went to Alien Con over the weekend. Ooh. And this week's episode was going to be about that, but then a scheduling thing happened. So we you will, we will let you know how Alien Con <laughs> went very soon. And uh, I think that's it. We should get out of here. All right. Kim. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Kim, say goodbye. Goodbye. Adam. Goodbye, everybody. Say goodbye. Oh, okay. <laughs> goodbye, everybody. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>